Hey guys, you're listening to episode 68 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're talking to Brian Grasso, co-founder and CEO of Simple Charity. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're talking to Brian Grasso, the co-founder and CEO of Simple Charity. Brian developed a passion for generosity at a young age, which has guided much of his path since then. Simple Charity helps college students to explore the freedom and excitement of generosity and to teach a perspective of solidarity with the poor. Under Brian's leadership, Simple Charity has been rapidly growing at campuses across the country. Stay tuned to hear all Brian has to share. Before we get started, I wanted to ask one favor of you guys. If you've been listening to this show for some time and want to support what we're doing, one easy and free way to do that is just to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just write whatever you like about the show and you'll help others find us. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get to the interview. Well, we're here with Brian Grasso today. Thanks so much for being with us, Brian. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Cody. Yeah, really happy to be here. Brian, can you start us off today? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am in Durham, North Carolina right now, where I live across the street from Duke University in a building called the Center for Christian Scholarship, which is the program I was involved in when I was a student. And I live here with my wife, whose name is Savannah, and we have two boys, two years old and four months old. So we are in kind of the throes of the newborn stage still. And (laughs) I am working in a ministry called Simple Charity, which we're going to get to get into today. Excited to share a lot more about that. And my wife, Savannah, is home with the boys. Could you share a little bit about what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in the Atlanta area in a suburb of Atlanta, and I didn't realize growing up that it was really an upper middle class kind of suburb and an upper middle class lifestyle. I learned more of kind of my own socioeconomic status in college and was able to reflect more on that later in life. But yeah, I grew up in this the suburb north of the city of Atlanta and grew up in the church, went to mass growing up. My family was Catholic and kind of had this experience when I was in middle school that set me on a totally new life trajectory. And that's was I read this book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And I'm actually excited to share about this because I know that Keelan, Crazy Love played a big role in your story. Such a powerful, simple little book that I hope any of our listeners who haven't read it will get the chance to read it sometime. And so anyways, I was the youngest of four siblings, and each of my siblings read Crazy Love. And God kind of saved us like dominoes. So he saved the oldest one first, and the next one, the next one, and then me. And and basically for like a year and a half, my older brother, Kevin, who's been one of the most influential people in my entire life on my own spiritual journey, he said, Brian, you have to read Crazy Love. You have to read this book. You have to read this book. So I finally read it, just came to see the God who loves me, you know, As a 12-year-old, I ended up reading this book, and the message of the gospel hit me like a ton of bricks. Came to see myself as a sinner, came to see the story of 
really all of us, which is the story of God loving sinners, reconciling them to himself. And I really think even looking back that kids, <laughs> even at middle school can understand really deep theology. <laughs> the message of Christianity is actually very simple and it's for all of us. And it's that we are in need of a savior, that we make choices that are not honoring to God, that we make choices that are not what's most loving to the people around us. And yet, despite all those failures, God covers us with his grace. And so reading this book, Crazy Love, taught me that, taught me about the grace of God. And what Francis Chan does in that book is he connects the grace of God as experienced in the gospel with radically caring for the poor. And he does it in a way where he basically says, okay, if you really understand this message of grace, if you really come to see yourself as a sinner, if you really come to see God as this amazingly generous and kind father who pursues you, who forgives you of your sins and then gives you the kingdom, then you're going to take that and go out and love and serve others, especially those who are most vulnerable and those who don't deserve, who might not deserve it. And so from the beginning of my walk with Jesus, there was this kind of deep integration between understanding the gospel and caring for the poor and I started reading the Bible and, you know, of course, it's all over scripture, Matthew 25, 1 John 3, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We can talk about each of those texts in particular if we want to get into it. But it's all over scripture, this connection between the gospel message and generosity, especially generosity towards the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, widow, the orphan, the immigrant, so on and so forth. The other thing that happened and is also a connection to the Finish Line podcast is when I was 12 years old, I went on a short-term mission trip with Heart for Africa, Janine Maxwell's organization. And so, yeah, I really recommend, again, to the listeners, if y'all haven't heard the story of Heart for Africa, going back, listening to that. So this was back in maybe 2009. Anyways, yeah, went on this short-term mission trip, and it totally changed my life. Spent 10 days in Kenya. While we were there, we visited an orphanage, and I became friends with this boy named Isaac. Isaac and I were the same age. So we were both 12 at the time. And so we bonded over kind of normal 12 year old boy things, you know, playing soccer out in the field and, you know, playing hide and seek in the boys dormitories and just cracking jokes and just having a good time together. And so for that week, it felt like me and Isaac were really equals. You know, we were peers and, you know, just little boys, just friends. And then when I got back to America, about six months after that trip, I learned that Isaac had ran away from the orphanage. So a little bit of backstory on Isaac, he was an AIDS orphan. Both of his parents were no longer living. So double orphan, no living family. And it's pretty common among street children in developing countries if they are rescued and placed in an orphanage to, for some of them to sometimes run back to the orphanage because they're used to life, their lifestyle on the streets. But at that time for me, it was just a totally devastating reality to think that while I was living this kind of comfortable lifestyle in this suburb of Atlanta that my friend Isaac was somewhere on the streets in Nairobi. And so it just made it, it made poverty very real to me, that friendship, that relationship. And it just kind of opened up this question of, okay, what can I do in this globalized world for Isaac and other kids like Isaac? And I would say over the last, you know, however many years it's been since 12 year old Brian had that experience, my life has been trying to answer that question. Yeah, that's a pretty impressive story for a 12-year-old. And I think that your point is very true, that I think we often take for granted just how much impact can be made on, you know, middle school, even elementary school age children that has a dramatic impact on the trajectory of the rest of their life. And I think about that as a parent, I'm sure you do too. 
and as do many of the other guests that we've talked to. I also appreciate the crazy love reference because that was a dramatic kind of turning point in my life too. For me, much later towards the end of college. But, you know, the book isn't about generosity necessarily, but that was a pivotal shift in my kind of draw towards generosity and what God calls us into through Francis Chan. And so he's, I mean, a lot of people have been impacted by that book and we've heard that many times as well. For anybody who's interested, I just want to point out back on episode 29, we did have Janine Maxwell, who leads Heart for Africa, the ministry that Brian was talking about. So if you want to hear a full in-depth walkthrough of what they are doing, because they are doing some incredible stuff and they are one of the ROI ministry top 10 organizations. So we got the chance to dig into that with Janine a while back. So Brian, I'm curious, you have this foundation and these questions that you're now grappling with. Where did that lead you as you went forward through high school and into college? So throughout high school, those questions turned into this growing dissonance and discontentment with megachurch American kind of culture <laughs> in Atlanta, of all places, where there's, there's a lot of Christianity and there's a lot of money. And the generosity message has an amazing group of very generous people in the Atlanta area. And yet there's still a lot of room to grow throughout that city for people to make this connection between the gospel and how we spend our money. So in high school, I was a part of this Bible study house church community, and we were wrestling with these things. We're wrestling with scripture. We're reading the Bible and we're coming to the conclusion that caring for the poor is so deeply ingrained in what it means to follow Jesus that it falls not in the category of secondary issues, but in salvific issues. And so, you know, the reason we're coming to that conclusion is just by really a point blank reading of Matthew 25. There's other texts as well. It's all again, it's all over scripture, but point blank reading of Matthew 25, Jesus in the longest teaching in the Bible that Jesus gives on heaven and hell, he says actually nothing about salvation by grace through faith, which of course is the teaching of the Bible. And that is how we're saved is by faith alone. And yet it's so fascinating that Jesus dives in to, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and, and you welcomed me. And so Jesus is giving us these kind of economic and social categories to define what life in the kingdom of God is like. And so you put the pieces together of what Paul teaches about justification by faith and what Jesus is teaching there about what life in the kingdom is. And you kind of learn that when you put your faith in Jesus, it so transforms you that you interact socially with other people with this posture of generosity and grace. And so these are the conclusions that we're coming to as a high school kind of Bible study house church community. And I know looking back, it's like, this is a very, it is a very unusual high school community. And I, and I recognize, I didn't realize how unusual it was until I got to college. And gosh, I loved high school. I mean, it was just this like amazing group of people, like trying to live out like an Acts 2 Christian community, you know, when they're like 16 years old, like we weren't even, yeah. So I've learned since then how kind of rare it was and how much God had his hand on that little community. But yeah, we're wrestling with what do we do? I mean, how do we share this message that God is calling us to radical generosity, you know, and how do we share that with the church and those around us where we see, you know, maybe these churches don't really teach it. And so we decided to start this club called Simple Charity. 
And we came to the conclusion that the best way to share an idea is not just to, you know, post on social media or just preach on people at the street or something like that, but it's actually to get your hands dirty and do something. And then once you actually have taken action and done something, you know, then you can share with some amount of credibility around an idea that you think is really important. And so we set this goal my senior year of high school, this community of students to raise $100,000 to fight global poverty in Jesus' name. And yeah, we went all out. And, you know, we had on our leadership team 12 seniors. This was a, meant to be a one-year thing. It wasn't going to be common organization. There was no long-term strategic plan or vision or anything. It was like, hey, God has granted favor in our little community of friends at this Bible study. You know, half the people on our leadership team were on our homecoming court at our high school. And so it's like kind of the like, popular kids and like the smartest kids in our high school, you know, like the homecoming court football game, you know, it's like person after person is like walking into the middle of the field. They're reading out their like accomplishments or whatever. And it's, you know, leader in simple charity, an organization trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars to fight global poverty in Jesus name. And then the next person, this so-and-so is also a leader in simple charity an organization, you know? And so we really kind of made this like little local splash for a year got to speak on a local radio station about Simple Charity and what we were doing. We tabled at our local county fair, and we averaged doing a fundraising event that year every three weeks for a different global nonprofit. So really, we're working very, very hard. And we ended the year having raised about $60,000 for various charities, which you know I think was more than a lot of uh, grownups expected us to raise. <laughs> and yet it was $40,000 less than we expected to raise. <laughs> Because we really believed that we were going to raise $100,000 to fight global poverty. But I ended the year totally burnt out. So I didn't have any rhythms in my life around Sabbath at that time. I didn't really have a very good theology for, you know, how God invites us into a life of abundance and how God invites us to, yes, do what we can for the poor. But he gives us limits for that. You know, God says he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives us the gift of the Sabbath that God actually wants us to be healthy human beings. I didn't have any of that theology until college. And so I just went really, really hard of, and with a lot of guilt, honestly, a lot of a scarcity mindset, trying to raise this money, trying to save the world. And then I got to college and a few things happened all at once. One is I learned that about half the money that Simple Charity gave was to an organization. It was one of the largest Christian humanitarian organizations at the time. And the year after we gave them $30,000 of our kind of high school yard sale money, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability took away their seal of approval from this organization. And so there was this class action lawsuit. There was this like $70 million settlement. And it was unclear whether our giving was actually going to the field and actually being used to help the poor. So that was super devastating to me. And the other thing was this burnout thing that I was mentioning earlier, where I just was like, I'm done with simple charity. You know, I'm never going to work for a nonprofit. It just sounds like one of the most terrible career trajectories possible because you're trying to solve these problems that are way bigger than any one person, way bigger than one organization. It's like, how do you ever give yourself permission to rest if you work for a nonprofit? And so I you know, came to North Carolina, went to Duke University, and was going to be a doctor. So that was my goal. I don't know why, Keelan, I thought that would be easier than me and non- working for a nonprofit. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> I'm sure Just it's different. not. 
just different. Just different. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the goal. You know, I would be a missionary doctor and I would serve the poor and provide kind of, you know, medical care for people who couldn't afford it. And I remember this moment, my freshman year, I took organic chemistry, you know, at Duke University. It's like one of the top schools in the country taking organic chemistry. And I was like, can is this a dream possible? And I remember this moment actually of getting an A on my first orgo test and just kind of seeing my life in that grade of, I think I could do this, you know, like, I feel like this is a possible trajectory and just really this amazing amount of like possibility in that moment. And yet very soon after that, God just being like, but no, you know, that's not for you. Like you're, my calling for you is not to become a doctor. It's back to this work with simple charity. And so yeah, ended up feeling this call back towards the generosity space and really this call back towards this thing that sparked it all, which was, yes, raising money to care for the poor, but also communicating this discipleship message that, gosh, this is about the gospel, you know, that we have a God who loves us and we have a God who doesn't want us to live burnt out lives, even if we're working for nonprofits. But we have a God who's generous towards us, who wants us to live the good life, life of grace and abundance. And part of that life is caring for the poor. And so during college, I kind of started learning more about the abundance that God invites us into and how to be generous out of a spirit of abundance and not scarcity. And I also started learning more about economics and how to give effectively and how to vet charities. And so bringing all those things together after graduating, went to launch Simple Charity as a 501c3 nonprofit. Our mission is to inspire Christian students to grow in solidarity with people experiencing poverty and injustice. And we're trying to bring together these ideas to really say, yes, we're called to care for the poor. This solidarity with the poor is an essential part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I really believe that. And yet solidarity with the poor is also a part of the abundant life. And so our core values are grace, not guilt, abundance, not scarcity, thoughtful, not naive, and zealous, not passive. And so we're trying to bring these things together to say, you know, how do we create communities of practice on college campuses where people connect their faith to fighting injustice and alleviating poverty, and at the same time, remain healthy human beings (laughs) and healthy followers of Jesus? Because the reality is, the kind of nonprofit leader savior complex thing is totally a trap that leads to burnout that leads to yeah ultimately being life taking like it sounds crazy to say but like you can take caring for the poor too far you can't take caring for the poor too far jesus himself said sets limits on caring for the poor probably most famously you know with the uh, alabaster jar where you know, the disciples say, hey, shouldn't we take this and give the money to the poor? And and Jesus said, no, Jesus said, no, that what you're doing right now with this, worshiping me, being together here in community, experiencing beauty, all these things are important for the kingdom of God. It's not caring for the poor above all else. It's the kingdom of God above all else. And once we get that right, then things like how we experience or what we do with our money and how we care for the poor will all fall into place. But we have to have a good theology, especially for people in the nonprofit world, of putting the kingdom of God first above all else, not our, the missions of our organizations. I really, really like what you said about just rolling up your sleeves and doing something and then having the experience on the other side of that and something to tell and maybe even a little bit of credibility, regardless of whether you hit your goal or accomplished what it is that you set to accomplish. And you had several of those experiences 
just coming out of high school into college. And that has clearly given you a spiritual maturity well beyond your years. And that is just very clearly evident to me. I'm just so impressed at the initiative that you took, but also the way that God had organized the community that you were in. And so I can see that he's using you and has been using you in a powerful way. And I'm really excited to see what he continues to do through you and the community and through Simple Charity. I did want to dive a little deeper on something that you've mentioned several times now is scripture. You said you read Crazy Love and that made a big impact. And then you've made several scripture references. It's clearly rooted in the word. And I'd love to dive in on something that I'm learning now is reading some of these verses. They hit you in a new way when you're looking for it, when you're trying to understand what can I learn about God's nature, his generous nature through scripture. And you read it and it's right there, plain as day, even though you might've missed it before. But as you continue to grow in that, and since you started to have some of these experiences from 12 years old on, maybe sooner, how do you continue to dive deeper into scripture today? Yeah, that's good. Well, I love what you said, Cody, that this is really my story is a story of a community that God used. That was true in high school. It's been true of Simple Charity since then. The Lord has just placed the right people at the right time to be able to advance Simple Charity. And that's been just such a wonderful blessing. It's such a wonderful blessing to do meaningful work with people that you enjoy. (laughs) As far as a question about scripture, I mentioned my brother Kevin as one of the most influential people on my spiritual journey. And I don't have any kind of theology background, but my brother Kevin is very theologically minded. He's actually kind of like a rising scholar and biblical scholars <laughs> world. I don't know. I don't know what you call that. So, but he got his PhD in Hebrew from Hebrew University and has a startup called Biblingo, which teaches teaches biblical Greek and Hebrew. So you can go on Biblingo's website if anyone's interested in learning biblical Greek and Hebrew. I highly recommend Biblingo. And you can learn the how to read the Bible in the original languages. And more than anyone else, I think Kevin has challenged me to be in the Word. Him and my older brother, Michael, like growing up when I was in high school and I was a young believer, whenever I saw either of my brothers, I knew they would ask me, hey, what have you been reading in the Bible? And what are you learning from that? <laughs> and they were always very kind about it. But, you know, that's a little bit of pressure, especially from like a young kind of perfectionistic kid who's trying to, you know, gives and so I'm like, oh gosh, I need to be reading my Bible because if one of my brothers asks me about what I'm learning, I need to be able to say something. <laughs> and so that was just kind of deeply ingrained in that season. And and since then, you know, I think having this kind of regular rhythms and practices and trying to be in the word and I'm, you know, not as consistent as I would like to be. The word of God is living and active. You know, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the power to transform our hearts. And I think that's part of what we've seen even in Simple Charity as we're trying to disciple students. It's a really easy formula, actually, to invest in the discipleship and transformation of of other people. You know, I think God, you know, is very gracious to make Christianity really simple in some ways. But it's you open up the Bible, you read it, and then you talk about it with community and you try to apply it. 
And that I really believe is all it takes to grow spiritually, to make progress in the Christian life and to grow into someone who looks a little bit more like Jesus. We just try to do that. You know, we try to not make things too complicated. It's hard to do. You know, I think the Bible is a confusing book, but that's part of why it's so important to read the Bible out loud in community and talk about it is because, you know, it is a little bit of a confusing book. But when we do that, it's like God had made it just hard enough so that when we open it up in community and talk about it, then all these things kind of come to the surface and then it kind of unlocks in community. It's like when we read the Bible by ourselves, it can feel like it's like a dense, you know, like we're not getting at the treasure underneath. And then we read it in community and just all of a sudden it opens up. The Bible's awesome. <laughs> and it's all there, just like you're saying, like all the stuff on generosity, you know, for our listeners, like if you haven't read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's kind of the longest text Paul gives us teaching about generosity. And it's all there everything you need to really have a good understanding of how God wants you to relate to money is in that text is in St. Corinthians 8 and 9. And again, it goes back to the gospel. Jesus is, you know, in 2 Corinthians 8, it says that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we might become rich. And so rooted in the message and the story of salvation, the incarnation of Christ and him dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead, you know, to overcome death, rooted in that story and believing in that story it immediately flows into this message of generosity of us then sacrificing what we have for others, just like Jesus did. That's the Christian life. I just wanted to make a comment about something that you said earlier about nonprofit burnout, because it's actually, I think, a really important topic and not even just nonprofits, but even generosity in general, or a lot of the things that I think people who are listening to this podcast are focused on. And, you know, for being so true, what you were saying, I don't think it comes up a whole lot, but I think that it is that God is focused so much more on the journey that we walk with him through what we're doing and, you know, tying into what you were just saying about being constantly in the word as one of the dominant ways that he communicates with us on an ongoing basis. But we, especially in our culture, but you know, us in general are often so focused on results and like, what can we do for God? How can we demonstrate to God, you know, in that mindset, I think other cultures around the world probably have some of that a little bit more in a healthy view than we do, but God is, he wants us rather than what we can do for him. He doesn't need us for any of this stuff. He could figure it all out on his own just fine, but he invites us in precisely to have us walk side by side with him to learn how to trust him for the next step, to learn how to trust his bigger vision than our smaller vision, that kind of thing. And so I'm just glad you brought that up because I think it's so important in the nonprofit world. And we've spoken to many in that world, also in the generosity world for people trying to live that out through how they manage their finances. It's easy to burn out trying to save the world, like you said. And so that's huge. Keila, can I ask you just on that question? Because I think you're totally right. You know, I'm curious for you and for Cody, how you guys think about that question of burnout and staying motivated. You know, I mean, it's like even with Finish Line, it's such an important initiative. And it's like, wouldn't it be wonderful if every Christian in the world just set a financial finish line? And then I guess y'all could, you know, close up shop and, you know, just (laughs) (laughs) spend more time with your families or something. But how do you guys think about that issue of, staying in this kind of work for the long haul. 
I guess the way that I see it is I trust God with the results of whatever he's having us do. So I don't know what's going to come from this episode. I'm leaving that up to him and I'm trusting him to use that. So that takes some of the pressure off up front when I adopted that perspective, because early on I decided I don't want to see how many downloads we have and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to be tracking it because that can become too much of the focus right in the beginning when you're trying to launch it. I really just wanted to connect with people during the pandemic. And this has been a really, really fun way to do it. So to me, spending this time with you today is something I've been looking forward to since we got it scheduled. So it's really just a matter of finding the time for the things that are important and not spending as much time with the things that aren't as important. So it's really been a wonderful reprioritization of my life. And I found I always had enough time to do the things that are most important to me. What changed was what was most important to me. And as I grow and mature and get older, it looks different. And I think that's okay. And it's not that I'm becoming lame or whatever it is. It's just I'm getting a deeper understanding of how to this time that we're spending on a Saturday afternoon, we could be doing any number of things, but this makes my whole week, you know, to have this conversation and learn about you and how God's moving. It's something that really gets me fired up and gives me kind of direction in my life, I would say. So that's really, it has never been something that I dreaded and it's been a privilege to be part of. I think the first thought that comes to mind for me is something that Cody and I talk a lot about But in response to your question, I have really stopped thinking about much of anything that I do in terms of the results as much as Cody and I talk all the time about this concept of planting seeds. And, you know, even this episode that we're doing right now is a seed in itself because any number of things could come of this. You know, I have no idea who is listening to this right now, but God could be doing anything through this conversation in that person's life. And it might trigger a whole new set of seeds that that person might plant because of something they heard. You, We, we talked earlier about crazy love. What an enormous seed <laughs> that Francis right. Chan planted, right? And, and the whole team around him to publish that book. Just in the what, 70 or so episodes that we've had here, I can't tell you how many times we've heard how that one seed has had ripple effects. And so God does the watering. God handles the results of everything that we do. What I'm focused on now, and I think could say the same for Cody, is I just want to plant as many seeds as I can over the course of my life. And God can do whatever he wants with those. But now I'm just always looking for opportunities to do that. And the thing about seeds is they don't grow quickly. (laughs) You know, so the results, the returns are often very slow and delayed. And I think God very intentionally designed the world that way. And the main reason that I have a desire to plant any seeds in the first place is because every seed that's planted is an opportunity to see God work. And, you know, it's just opening a door to be able to look back and say, look, look at what he did. And, you know, so when I can look back and say, look at what we did, look at what we accomplished for this or that or anything. I think that we kind of missed the whole opportunity in that, you know, I want to do things that 
God can work with in ways that we never could have planned. And so that I think when we focus like that and just trying to see how many different ways we can see God work, it takes a lot of the burnout out because there's nothing specific that we're trying to accomplish. Obviously, we have, you know, kind of general goals of directional kind of things that we're going towards, but it's more so just wanting to see God work. Yeah, that's really good. I hope you all have been to a Journey of Generosity retreat. Okay, you have. And I hope our listeners all go to Journey of Generosity retreats as well. They're just really a wonderful tool. But it just reminds me, Keelan, what you're sharing of that Richard Foster quote and celebration of discipline that you read during a Journey of Generosity. And that's Richard Foster writing, quoting Kierkegaard. So it's a little confusing. But Kierkegaard writes, you know, what's the most important thing? Should I preach to everyone to say that seeking the kingdom of God first is the most important thing. And he says, no, that's not the most important thing. Should I give away all that I have and serve the poor? Like, no, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is seeking first the kingdom of God, not talking about seeking the kingdom of God, not telling other people to seek the kingdom of God, you know, and that's actually, I think, so crucial, so crucial for us all to remember. It's like, and then he says, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is this inner reality really of intimacy with Christ. And so just putting that first and just letting that be kind of the centerpiece of our lives, I think is how we stay healthy and, you know, and do important work at the same time. So I wanted to dive in a little more because we have talked to a number of people from different organizations who would love to be able to reach college students with the message that you guys are focused on with Simple Charity. And it is traditionally a challenging group because they're very, you know, well, every group is different, but it is a group that I think many have tried and struggled to reach. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with, one, some of the unique challenges that you have seen in trying to reach and connect with college students in this message, and then strategies and kind of what you have seen work well in building that community. Absolutely. I'll give two challenges and then I'll share some strategies that are hopefully helpful. The challenges that I see, I'll give three challenges. Okay. First challenge is that every four years, all the students leave. And so, you know, we have these chapters and they have a hundred percent turnover of their leadership teams every four years. So imagine trying to operate any organization where 100% of your leaders come and go every four years. That's really tough. Second challenge is just the spiritual climate on college campuses in today's age. The way I read stats, you know, there's lots of, I'm not a sociologist. People have theories on what's happening to religion in America. But the way I read stats, people in college are leaving the faith and not coming back. And at a rate that's faster than like any other point in American history. If I'm wrong about that, shoot me an email. We'd love to be wrong about that. But <laughs> Brian at simplecherry.org, seriously. But that's kind of where I read, you know, there's a report about it called The Great Opportunity from Pine Tops Foundation. Talks some about this issue. That makes it hard. Sometimes like at Duke, it's just like, there's just not a lot of Christians, you know? So we're teaching Christians about biblical generosity. And it's like, well, there's just not really even a ton of Christians. And if you have if you have Christians in the room, then you, you find yourself having conversations around a lot of other issues as they are in this environment, intellectual environment that is constantly trying to deconstruct their faith. So that's challenge number two. Challenge number three is 
something Barna published, this is going to make it sound like what we're doing is like a terrible idea. Just all these challenges. But the challenge number three is there was a recent Barna study that said that college students generally agree that there's a leadership crisis in America, that there needs to be more leaders with moral courage be raised up. And they college students also generally agree that they don't want it to be them. <laughs> so it's like we're in this moment, this next generation of students where people are like, yes, there are problems. We need more great leaders. Also, I personally don't want to be a leader. <laughs> and I totally actually relate to that sentiment. And it's really hard to be a leader, especially in a world where, you know, people on social media are mean to you. And, <laughs> you know, we're so fragmented and fractured as a culture, I think, in a lot of ways. But Anyway, so those are some challenges. As far as what works and where we're seeing fruitfulness, the opportunity is with college students has always been there to catalyze students to do the work of justice. Students tend to be a little bit more idealistic. There is a lot of energy in 18 to 23 year olds around imagining a better world and then going out there and trying to build it and create it. And so I think that's something that's just like true about 18 to 23 two-year-olds, like just always. And so there's so much energy there that, that can be catalyzed. I think, you know, you have to overcome that leadership challenge. And, and honestly, I think what we found more than anything else is you just go and you build relationships with students and you just encourage and encourage and encourage and encourage. I mean, I think we all need encouragement as leaders, but especially for students, you know, sometimes a student has the passion, they have the vision for wanting to do something to make the world better. And they need someone to step into their life as a mentor and to give them permission. And that permission comes in the form of saying, hey, I just believe in you as a leader. You know, I believe that you can launch a chapter of Simple Charity and that it can have an awesome impact in the kingdom of God. And so a lot of our work is, is just doing that. I think jogs, we talked about during generosity, I think jogs work just as well with undergraduate students as they do with anyone else. And so this is another huge opportunity is college students don't have a lot of financial obligations other than student loans, but they don't have these kind of rhythms of, you know, of handling their finances. You know, it's not quite as painful to make the commitment beforehand as it is once you have that kind of high sticker price salary and you're cutting there's some loss aversion, you know, there's some like, Oh, I don't know if I want to give up on this aspect of my lifestyle. And so college is really this golden window for the message of generosity where, you know, basically, you know, very few organizations are doing jogs with undergraduate students. Our goal in simple charity is to get up to a hundred jogs a year with college seniors and so we want to partner with campus ministries. If you work for campus ministry or are interested in this space, we'd love to connect with you. We want to just bring this message to people before they have these financial commitments. And I'll just say one more thing on this. And that's that a lot of us are, our views on money are shaped by our families of origin. We inherit the way our parents spent money and any experiences, if we, if we had experiences that were really tough with money growing up, then maybe we'll be a little bit more saved. You want to hold on to it. Or if we have experiences of our parents just say, hey, like, we're just, we're just going to, you know, go on these lavish vacations. Those are our expectations. Then as we become adults or if we have parents who are really generous, then, then, you know, hopefully that gets passed down to the next generation. Well, college is this really interesting time when people have some distance from their families of origins and tend to just question 
all of the wisdom from their families of origins. And that's part of, I think, why we see so many people leaving the faith in colleges, because they're, they're disconnected from those kind of social fabrics that they grew up in. But it's also makes an amazing ministry opportunity, you know, where people, people are open to reconsidering their worldview in college. And so if you come in and teach on that, this reality, that generosity is a part of the abundant life in Christ, it's just an amazing time where students might actually, not to like put it too severely, but you know, they might actually come to adopt this generosity posture towards finances, even if like, that's not how their parents raised them. You know, even if it goes against some of that, that wisdom of their parents, like it's this like window of opportunity where it's like, College students are just open to being persuaded to new ways to view the world. And so are we reaching students where they are in that crucial moment, offering them a Christianity that's not just true, but also good and beautiful? That's, yeah, I think our opportunity. Brian, I wanted to touch back on something that you mentioned through your high school experience and how that's shaped kind of your perspective, but also your strategy as Simple Charity grows. I know a pretty aggressive rate, which is amazing to hear. But you talked about setting this really lofty goal of raising $100,000. Like that's a lot of money, no matter who you are. So to hit 60000 I sense a little bit of disappointment still when you talk <laughs> about it. That's so much money. And then to be excited about giving it away. And then the lessons that were learned through that, I'm sure there was kind of this bittersweet of, ah, oh, we didn't get the 100000 that we probably should have, but we're able to maybe make a bigger difference than any of us expected a year ago. But then after the gift is made, you do kind of an audit of, well, what was the impact? And incredibly valuable lessons coming out of that, seeing that maybe not all of it did what we hoped. And that has to change the way that you think about what you do next. And Keelan had on a smaller scale, a similar experience that he shared with me when I was starting to exercise that generosity muscle in my own life. And I said, well, just tell me about it. I don't want to do that. That sounds painful. And I don't want to go through that. So just tell me what you did, how you identified it. How can you evaluate a ministry in the first place? And he started to walk me through it. And I'm sure my giving hasn't been perfect in how I evaluate ministries and whatnot, but it kind of saved me a lot of trouble as I got started. So I'm imagining you have this wonderful opportunity to share your experience and your story with hundreds, thousands of college students and all the other people in that group with you and the original high school simple charity have the same opportunity to say, here's my experience. Here's what I learned. And here's how you can do it better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We took that learning or that lesson, that hard lesson, and just went back to the drawing board and said, hey, we need to very rigorously evaluate the organizations that we give to. And so that's kind of turned into this multi-year project to Simple Charity. And it's this ongoing conversation. I think it's just a huge need in the generosity ecosystem. <laughs> if I could use that term, you know, a lot of the folks that you guys are connecting with and have been on this podcast are part of this kind of generosity movement, this new thing that I really believe God is doing in the church that's beautiful and good. And as we work on it, we need to answer this question of where is this money going? And is that money you know, just being stockpiled into donor advised funds because we don't have any good charities that we trust that can turn that money into kingdom impact. 
And so what that looks like for Simple Charity is empowering students to do a lot of charity evaluation work. So we've evaluated over 700 charities and narrowed it down to our top 25 charities that work to alleviate poverty and injustice and have those posted on our website. I know you guys have done some great charity evaluation work, you know, since launching Finish Line. I'd also really recommend this group called All Access International that is trying to help people give in the most effective ways to fight extreme economic and spiritual poverty. Yeah, it's a big piece of the puzzle. And I think, again, as an ecosystem, we're all kind of hopefully learning from each other and growing and being able to have, yeah, multiple places for people to be able to allocate their giving capital in ways that are really effective. But I do want to say this. Every now and then I talk to people who say, I had a bad experience giving, so I don't do it anymore. And I'm just, you know, like that is just not how God treats us. It's really... I think that line of thinking, I know it's pain. I know I've experienced it. It's painful. I mean, $30,000, you're like, you know, I was up on a Saturday morning washing cars for this money and it might be in some bank account in Switzerland, this nonprofit person, you know, that's frustrating for sure. But just when we think about, again, the gospel, and this is all rooted in the gospel, the fact that look how kind Jesus has been to us and we still keep squandering it. You know, I do. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I just, I keep on sinning. I find myself often being like, I made a choice and that was the wrong choice that did not honor God. And yet I know that in the gospel, there's grace in Christ. You know, even as we continue to sin, God keeps being generous to us over and over and over again. And so that's our model for generosity. And so I would just encourage, if anyone is listening to this and they say, I've had a bad experience giving, it's, you know, I would just say, just keep giving you know, and God is going to use that generosity. And, you know, you're going to have some losses. It's, you know, if you're allocating capital, that's a hard, complex thing to do, you know, but the grand trajectory of that generosity will be kingdom impact. And we have to remember that. And we have to remember that, you know, if God is, keeps being generous to us, even though sometimes we look like bad investments, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and yet that's our model is the love and the grace of God. As you guys went through that process of evaluating those 700 charities, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you guys approached distilling that down to a top 25 list. Yeah, for sure. So you can learn about this on our website, simplecharity.org, and then just go to our evaluation process. But yeah, it started with a screen, collecting a set of data for all those organizations. We narrowed it down to about 100 organizations that we asked for interviews with. And then we did as many interviews as we can to get a sense of their culture. The three main things we were looking for were operations. You know, do they cross all the T's, dot all their I's, good board governance, you know, financial statements up on the website and your reports. Culture. So just as important, if not more important than just those nuts and bolts of operations is the, the culture of a nonprofit. Probably the best red light for evaluating the culture of an organization is turnover of top leadership. If you see an organization and you're, you're able to find out that they're burning through leaders, it, that is a huge, huge, huge red flag. But other things matter as well. Culture, humility, you know, commitment to prayer. We place a high emphasis on within the organization itself. And then the last thing is measured impact, which is do they have the data to show that what they're doing is working? Brian, I'd love to hear more about when you are engaging college students, what are the actual words that you use to communicate the biblical message of generosity? 
to someone who may not have had a lot of opportunities to really step into it until that point in their life. Yeah. I think the most powerful things we do probably is just point people back to scripture. So, you know, we have this Bible study resource that we call the good life and poverty. And it just goes through 15 texts. And so one of the things that our college chapters do is when they get together, they read a text, you know, it's usually about a chapter. They just talk about it and they just let the Holy spirit, you know, do that work in them. And I think just that tends to be enough to be totally honest, to just kind of get those juices flowing. A lot of times people are like, Oh, I didn't even know this was in the Bible. (laughs) You know, Proverbs 31 is a great example of that. You know, a lot of people on college campuses are, you know, talking about gender equity, you know, women can make it in the workplace, that kind of thing. Proverbs 31, you have this powerful businesswoman who is open-handed and generous towards the poor. That's not the kind of typical Christian Southern girl, you know, picture of biblical womanhood that you might expect from the Bible. And yet there it is in the Bible is this picture of biblical womanhood is actually about working hard, making it in business and being generous towards the poor. Yeah. So I think we let the Bible do the hard work for us. We do use this language around solidarity with the poor. So that was language that we worked on for a very long time, lots of discussions. And the reason we landed on those words is because when you say care for the poor, the arrow kind of goes one direction. And yet when you're in scripture, it's very clear that the arrow goes both directions, that there is a sense of mutuality. And so when we talk about solidarity with the poor, we, we say that solidarity with the poor actually starts by learning from the poor, by seeing their abundance. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Amazing. Blessed, you know, it might be better translated, according to this one scholar, as flourishing. You know, flourishing are the poor in spirit, you know, like if you want to flourish as a human being, then humility, (laughs) like, it's like, imagine that you're spirit, but you're in poverty, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's totally upside down, amazing teaching. And yet Jesus himself was a kind of itinerant homeless rabbi and he lived the abundant life. And so how do we begin by learning from the poor, standing with the poor by fighting for justice and then sacrificing for the poor by giving and serving. And so we're hoping solidarity brings together this kind of more holistic vision of mutuality and allows us to, yeah, just, and also people are like, solidarity, like, what does that mean? And I actually really like that people don't know what it means because then it allows it people to just kind of explore that <laughs> and to just dig into scripture and have those conversations. Well, I agree completely with that. And you know, the book When Helping Hurts comes to mind when you're talking about that, because we had Brian Fickert, who's one of the co-authors on that book, on a while back. And that's like exactly the kind of thing that he's so passionate about is that one directional view towards the poor that I think is so, it's almost kind of like our default view until you are exposed to the idea that it is actually a two-way street. We have as much or more to gain from solidarity with the poor, like you said, relationship and growth and really understanding ourselves better and in a more correct view to how we relate to others and how we relate to God. So agree completely on that. I know Simple Charity is growing quickly and I'm sure you have a lot going on. I'd love to hear what you are looking most forward to in the next five or 10 years. What do you see coming on the horizon and what you're most excited about? Yeah, sure. I'm excited about doing just like 
a butt ton of jogs with college students. <laughs> That's why I'm excited. I mean, you know, it was really funny. I, it's funny, like hearing people who learn about biblical generosity before learning about this organization, Generous Giving. You know, I think even April Chapman, who's the CEO of Generous Giving, learned about biblical generosity before she learned about this organization. But we had this experience, me and my wife, where we went to our first jog and we were like, these people exist. This is amazing. They've built this tool to invite people into this message and it's scaling up. And they had about 400 jogs in 2022. But you think about that, you know, it's like, you know, three to 4,000 people, which is amazing. And yet the amount of potential there to continue to grow and bring this message out to more and more people. And so I think that's what I'm most excited about is this is a, it's a model that's a, it's a multiplying movement. So once you go to one, then you can host one. And so how do we just partner with campus ministries, partner with anyone who's connected to college students and just get this message out to them? Because it's just really, it's really crucial. I mean, it's crucial to, I mean, gosh, you know, not, yeah, it's just crucial. It's crucial, I think, to the future of the church. I think it's crucial to the reputation of Jesus in this country. Like, are we known as followers of Jesus for being radically generous towards others? Like, is that what people think about in this country when they think about Jesus? And I don't think it is right now, unfortunately. You know, I, sometimes it is, you know, there's pockets of, you know, bright light. But how do we impact the generation so that 10, 20 years from now, this kind of trajectory I mentioned earlier of people leaving the church flips and we see like revival in this country. I think generosity is the best bet for revival in America. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to just run hard at that Sabbathing every week and sleeping every night, <laughs> but running, but running hard, running hard to make the most of this opportunity. Yeah. I think there's so much wisdom in so many things that you've said over the course of this last hour here. I just want to thank you for not getting burnt out even when was what you had decided on and God just course corrected in your life. And I'm sure he will continue to guide you in a way that really exposes the way that you can serve him best. So really, really encouraging to hear at such a young age, how many important lessons that he's taught you about generosity and then raised you up as a leader to be able to share that with so many others at a similar age where they can just really launch on the right foot. But as we kind of wrap up this episode, I just want to leave a little bit of time for our manager's minute. We like to close every episode with just a practical tip or some advice that our listeners can take forth from this conversation and maybe apply in their own lives. So do you have a suggestion for our listeners on how they can step into their role as stewards of what God's provided to them? So stewards are people who are entrusted with resources. And I would just recommend to everyone listening to this to begin a daily gratitude practice. This is a really, really simple thing to do. But at the end of every day, I take out my iPhone notes and I write down three things I'm grateful for, for that day and why I'm grateful for them. And then just take a moment in prayer to thank God for the gift of those things. Gratitude is, it's just the foundation of this whole conversation. There's a lot of kind of interesting kind of psychological studies on writing down three things you're grateful for every day. It turns out it's like really good for us, like mental health social health, like every aspect also leads us to wanting to be more generous, but it's at the heart again. And I just maybe want to just bring us back to the gospel. And this is all about the gospel, this whole conversation. 
And the gospel is the story of God's generosity to us, despite our sin and our failing. And so as much as possible, bring us back on a daily basis to gratitude for God, for the gifts that he gives us, that he allows us to steward. Like the capacity to give is an amazing gift. Like the relationships we're a part of, you know, everything that God gives us is so rich. This human experience is so rich and abundant that will allow us to overflow and to cheerful generosity. Yep. I agree completely. That is very much the foundation of everything. And the fact that God has given us the ultimate gift in his son and gratitude for that, that really is the outflow of everything else that we do. Brian, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, to share your story and for all that you are doing through Simple Charity. Thank you, Keelan. Thank you, Cody. Grateful for y'all for your work with Finish Line. It's an awesome, awesome project. Maybe you could just tell people where they can find more information if they want to learn more about Simple Charity and some of the work you guys are doing. Sure. You can find more info at simplecharity.org.org. Awesome. And I encourage everybody to check them out. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting up Financial Finish Line, the Finish Line movement, or anything else that you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to connect with them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. Just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you could introduce us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. And finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 68. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. <music>